Welcome to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. You know, one of the dangers that I found that could happen is that we come in and we just do the same thing because it worked. You know, you just come in and you go, well, I know this works, so let's do it. And what a robbery that would be for you. Um, Because you know what? We didn't know what he wanted to do this weekend for you. But we're not willing for you to get less than what he has. No matter what we have, no matter what we've done, no matter what we do, we have one goal. And that's that he be free to do in your life what he wants to do. Many of you have brought friends that have never heard of us, may never want to hear of us again, but too bad. (laughs) Okay? And here's what I want you to know. No matter why you're here, no matter how you got here, the Holy Spirit of the living God is offering you tonight everything you need. Everything you need. But you're going to have to make a choice tonight. I'm going to share just a little bit before Jim comes to kind of set the stage of what we're going to do this weekend and kind of how we try to help people process trauma when they come to us. Okay, because we are in a society where um, everything traumatizes everybody. I, I, you know, I, I say that facetiously, but it's true. I mean, we've had people come that said they were traumatized because somebody did something that you're like, oh, so sorry that happened to you. <laughs> you know, because it's, it. but everybody is so aware of pain. But we have no filter. We have no guard. We have no wisdom to know what to do with it. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me, and I know, because I know most of you, and I the rest of you, it's kind of like I know by the Spirit, we have mature saints here. And sometimes we're mature to the point of forgetting the simplicity. We, we, just, we just lose sight of that little simple thing. Um, our pastor in uh, Nashville has been for maybe three months talking about the atonement and the place of there. He will meet us there. There at that place is where he will meet us. If you come there, he will meet you. And last Sunday, the Lord gave me just this little revelation because I've many times said, Lord, how do you return to the first love? You ever thought that? I mean, I know we're supposed to. How do you do it? And last Sunday, the Lord just said, just meet me there. What is there? It's that place where Jesus died, that the blood covered, that if I will come in simple humility, like I did when he called me, and I just say, Jesus, I'm here. That's the place of first love. It's not the experience. It's not all the stuff. It's the place where he came to meet us. 
It's the place where God could show himself coming to get us. And that's how you return. You, you, you lay aside all of the repentance stuff that you've prayed. You lay aside all the works. Well, I need to feel this. No, you just stop and you go, Jesus, I'm just coming there right now in the mercy seat right here. Jesus, I can't do it. Will you meet me? And he says, I'm already here. And I want to tell you something, it will reawaken in you. It will reawaken in you that intimate place that the Father says everyone should have. And if you've never had that awakened, it's okay, but it'll still awaken it. It'll still awaken it when you go to that simple place where he is. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture for just a minute that you were Adam or Eve. Okay? You're in the garden. Can you all picture that? I mean, it's kind of out there, but think about it. You know, for those of you that have ministered very long, you've heard, well, if I just had a better job, well, if my spouse would just, well, if this sickness hadn't happened, well, if I just, right? We hear it all. So I want you to picture you're in a place where you have everything you need. You have the perfect spouse. You have the perfect provision. You have the perfect job. But you know what you have more than that? You have an intimate, transparent relationship with the God of the universe that walks with you and says, oh, I'm glad you're here. I love you. Want to learn something today? Guys, that's the life he's offering us right now. But what happened? This voice came. You know, there were two voices in that garden. One was walking in the cool of the morning saying, Adam, where are you? The other one was saying, huh, God really say that? So what did he challenge? He challenged two things. He challenged, that she is, am I enough? That's what he challenged her with. Are you, in, are you really? You think you have what you need? Really? You sure God's giving you what you need? I mean, you know, there's something he's not getting. Maybe that's what you need. So what did he do? He challenged her to doubt who God made her to be, and then he, he caused her to doubt the goodness of God for her. And that is the war that has been going on within us since the garden. So we look at the circumstances, we get our hearts hurt, we get, we get relationships broken, we get all the junk of it, and we find ourselves going, well, what's wrong? You know, I'm just, I don't know. You know, I'm just evidently not meant for that and, or whatever, and there's no victory. And, you know, I'm just going to push on with Jesus, you know, because that's what we got to do is tough it out. He's saying to you, will you come to there and let me refresh you to that intimate, transparent place, heart to heart, no matter what anybody's done to you. We are living in a fallen world where trauma happens every day that you walk. 
the degree of it is different. It causes your sickness. It causes your pain. It causes your broken relationships. It causes mental illness. It causes physical illness. It causes everything that's contrary to the goodness of God. And we have got to make a decision. I'm done letting trauma rule my life. I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to look into the realm, into the realm of transparency with the one who loves me. Men, it's for you. Oh, that's just for women. Uh-uh. Mm-mm, you don't get off that easy. Mm-mm, he's saying, do you want it? So this weekend, the Father wants you to see, am I ready to meet him there? That place where I don't know there was a point in time I had doubted my salvation over and over, and finally I just said, Jesus, all I know is if you don't save me, I'm not going to be saved. I, do, I don't know. I can't do it, and I just throw myself on you and say, that's all. I just, that's what has to be. Can you do that tonight? Can you, can you afresh? Can you begin to say, Jesus, I may have totally screwed things up. I may have gotten hard. I may have gotten prideful. I may think I know everything. I may think I know nothing. But can you say, Jesus, I just want to meet you there again and get rid of the trauma, get rid of the stuff that I've been carrying around? Because I want to tell you some. There are some of you that the call of God has come afresh new on your life, and you're running from it, and you're sitting down, and you're, you're saying, well, I'm just, it's not worth it. And the Father says, that's a lie from the pit of hell, and it's time to stand up however he calls you to, it's time to stand up and get back in the fight, okay? Get back in the fight that's already won, okay? So I'm going to pray over you, and Jim's going to come. And I want to tell you that Jim will be, after every session, will be ministering. So there will be a, some of a kind of a teaching of whatever God gives him, and then we'll be praying over trauma, right? Every, so there'll be four times, tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, and then Sunday morning. Okay, so, you know, maybe you need it once, maybe you need it all four. But that's kind of what we're going to be doing, so I'm going to just pray over you. Jesus, I thank you for the place of there. I thank you for the place of the mercy seat that covered the sin. I thank you that even in the garden, you covered their sin with the shed blood. You covered it because of your love. And Jesus, you have covered every one of us. You have covered us. Jesus, will you refresh the hearts? Will you cause their hearts to burn again with that freedom that they felt, that freedom that they felt when they realized, I'm forgiven? I'm accepted. And, Father, if they haven't had that, will tonight you bring such an awareness within them of the freedom of the place of the atonement of Christ for them that they will be forever changed? Father, stir their hearts. Prepare our hearts.
and have your way. Thank you, Jesus. Greetings from the church in Nashville. Um, Ms. Pat and I were talking Is it something I said? I'm sorry. The Lord told me earlier we had to do this, so we have to. We have a couple declarations that we're supposed to make, okay? Because the word of your mouth is going to change things. So if we can get the ones for tonight up on the screen, hopefully they're going to work. Oh, they are. Okay, everybody stand up. Because at the word of your mouth, things are created. At the word of your mouth, the Lord says, that's how I create things. So we're just going to make these declarations. I'm not going to do repeat after me for those of you that know me. We're going to repeat them together, okay? So let's just read these. Ready? I declare according to Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I declare Psalm 45. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the plans you have for us. None can compare to you. I declare Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against me in judgment I shall condemn. Even words and actions against me from before my birth to the present time. I declare I am more than a conqueror because of Jesus Christ. I am not a victim, but a victor, no matter what my circumstances tell me. Amen. Amen. The book of Malachi uh, was written. At an interesting period, it's the last things that God said to mankind for 400 years. And so there's some important things in it that I think apply to us tonight. And I'm going to bend it around to show you how trauma enters into this process. And this is chapter 3 of Malachi, starting in verse 13. Said, so your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have we spoken against you? And you've said, It's a vain thing to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge and of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the arrogant blessed. That's what society is doing. And effectively, what this is saying is the enemy comes to you and begins to put questions in your mind. Pat talked about it a little bit. And for most of us, we have an experience of unfulfilled expectations, promises that have gone unseen. 
prayers that we've prayed that have gone unanswered. Many for years, some for decades. And there's a frustration that builds. And it's nice to be able to stand and praise the Lord and speak all kinds of declarations and then walk back out into the same frustration day after day after day. How do you maintain in a situation like that? Because what we are seeing now in our society is the arrogant being called blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they seem to escape. And here is the promise. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. One of the greatest things that um, we encounter in the context of ministry is people want to know where they belong. And yet we have been raised in a country that prizes independence and practices isolation like nobody's business. We, um, about a month ago, went to, went to Texas. Pat was in a singing group back in the 70s, traveled with a lot of evangelists whose names you would know if we told them Jack Taylor was one of those. And so they had a reunion. Um, so these gals have known each other for the better part of 50 years and was sitting and talking with one of the, the hosts. And he said, uh, we've had a number of people move to this part of Texas from California. And they come from subdivisions. And here we are sitting in a house on a series of subdivisions in, sub in the subdivision where everybody has about at least 10 to 15 acres. And he said, nobody knows anybody. They didn't know anybody in the neighborhood they came from. You see, we take isolation as a norm. The church uses the word family. And if we all belong families like this, we'd be orphans. The reality is, is you were not made to walk through life alone. And if you continue to practice isolation, if you do not know your neighbors, if you do not engage people and become transparent, number one, you're missing out on the greatest ingredient of life itself. But you're also missing out on this specific, specific verse. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. What did they speak? Encouragement. Consolation. Prophecy. Reminding people of who they are. This is one of the biggest things about trauma is you forget who you are. 
last February, we had a um, guy at the, at the church who came to do a workshop for entrepreneurs and independent business people. And I thought, well, that includes me, so I think I'll go. And um, he started off in a direction that just was uh, surprising, was a blessing, but I didn't expect it. He said, um, for us in Christendom, if it is a good deal for me and I'm the seller of a good or service, then it's going to be have to be good for you as the buyer. But he said, in the kingdom, there's a different level. If I'm the purveyor of a good or service in the kingdom, then the value of this transaction should improve the value of the buyer. But that only happens is if you as the seller know your own value. That's what trauma is trying to stomp out. So I thought, who am I? I thought, well, I've never sat down and gone through the discipline to write down in detail, as great a detail as I could, who am I? So I sat down to do that in about the first 10 or 15 minutes. I realized um, I got to throw this away because it is all a function of what I do. You and I are not what we do, although that should be reflected in what we do. So that whole exercise of describing who I was was really kind of, it was interesting because those things that trauma has tried to stomp out of us we voluntarily choose not to honor. And that's an important thing for us. You see, what you do not honor, that's part of your wiring, part of your makeup, part of what God created, is tied to your happiness, tied to your fulfillment. I'm a guy who has to get outdoors every day. That's why I hate winter. Because I have arthritis in my hands and cold hurts. I mean, it's painful. I think our next move is going to be further south. But you see, if you do not understand the fact that this is part of you, and this is how you were created, how you were wired, you can't honor it. And if you don't honor it, what happens? You wind up questioning all kinds of things. Why am I not happy? Well, it's probably my wife's fault. Probably my boss's fault. God didn't answer that prayer. Somebody dissed me. See what I'm saying? When the Lord says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the next verse says, the Lord paid attention 
and heard them. What were they talking about? They were talking about the things that they valued, the things that brought them fulfillment, the things that encouraged them, the things that strengthened them, the things that meant something to them. How many of you have been to a family reunion where you felt like it was just a bunch of strangers? Yeah. Why is that? Because we really don't know who we are. See, one of the things about, uh, about knowing positively who you are is it insulates you against rejection. It doesn't, it doesn't eliminate it, but it insulates you against it. That's the issue we have today, is people feel, if my feelings got hurt, I must be traumatized because I feel bad. No, trauma is not hurt feelings. Sorry about your feelings, but that's not what this is about. Trauma itself is an emotional event that happens to you that exceeds your capacity to resolve it and get back to a place of joy and peace relatively quickly. Knowing who you are tends to fix that for you. Because the reality is they can't kill who you are because God created it. But if you will not honor how you've been created, anybody can stomp on it and hurt your feelings. See, one of the other things about this is because you and I were created in the image of God, um, and Jesus himself said, I'm the express image of God the Father, and we were created in the image of the Father, then you and I ought to be able to put our finger on specific characteristics that he put in us that we demonstrate. Scripture says, as he is, so are you in this world. So how do you show compassion? How do you forgive those who don't know what they're doing? How do you love? How do you strengthen? How do you encourage? Well, most of us are just stuck with the turning the tables over part. <clears throat> we recognize that. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Do you realize 
you and I will give account of every idle word we've spoken. It's recorded somewhere. And we'll see it on Judgment Day. But everything that you have spoken that strengthens another, that blesses the Lord, that encourages people, is also remembered by the Lord. And this is not a, a balance kind of a thing. Because what does he say? A book of remembrance was written before him to those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. You see, for most of us, we've lost sight of the fact that we are delighted in by the Lord. That he cares about us so much that he listens to the things that we say. And therefore, have been declared his. If you lose sight of that, then it's easy to figure out, well, I'm all I got. And if I'm all I've got, this is not going to be a great, great game. In the day that I make up my treasured possessions, then clarity will come. Because he said, then once more you shall see the distinction between righteous and wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not. If there was ever today that we needed clarity, it's now. But part of that clarity comes in knowing whose you are as well as knowing who you are. That which you refuse to look into, you can neither wrestle with to defeat it, nor honor it. See, one of the interesting things about our culture is it thrives on the negative. And so you and I have been sold a bill of goods that the way to succeed in life is to diminish all of your negatives. And so we work hard either to cover them up or to improve ourselves, which isn't the Lord at all. He says, take inventory of your strengths, what you're good at, what brings you life when you do it. If you'll major on those, you won't care about your negatives. You don't care about your weaknesses. Oftentimes what we run into, and we are prone to it, is we rehearse everything that we have messed up, every opportunity that we blew, every bad decision we made. Yet when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, it's love the Lord to God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is equal to it. 
love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in this society, we've learned you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar, basically meaning if you treat people nice, they treat you nice. And yet we don't treat ourselves as well as we treat our neighbors. The expectation of Jesus is stop it. There's no fruit in it. Your memory is good enough to pull up every mistake you've ever made. You don't have to rehearse everything you've done. It's time to move on. Draw a line in the sand. Take a look at your strengths. Forget the weaknesses. Connect with each other. And you'll be fine. It's the traumas that we're trying to get over. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that um, we are created in the image of God. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and those who would worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Paul comes along in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and he said, I would that you were sanctified wholly, all together spirit, soul, and body. So he's giving us a way in which to live. Our human spirit subjected to Holy Spirit. Our human spirit then ruling over our mind, will, and emotions, which is our soul. It in turn ruling over our bodies. As you can see, there's something out of order in this, this house. Um, <clears throat> but we're not going to talk about that. There are several interest inst instances in the Bible that I think we need to, to look at um, that have a great deal to do with this spirit thing. You and I are principally spirits. When you accepted Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, where did Holy Spirit come to dwell? With your spirit. Speaks the same language, right? Okay, so you have access to everything you need, both for daily life and godliness, according to Scripture. And yet, we're concerned about the things that have happened in our lives that we can't seem to get over emotionally. Scripture does say that as he is, so and so are you in this world. If you remember, um, Jesus fed 5,000 people, and he said, let's go away. So they jumped into a boat. Jesus is hanging out on the shore, probably cleaning up all the loaves and fishes. I don't know what they were doing. Um, the disciples go out, storm comes up, they think they're going to die, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And for a time, Peter does as well. How many of you have walked on the water? 
as he is, so are you in this world. Another instance where a storm comes up, Jesus is in the back of the boat sawing logs, and they wake him up, and he says, peace be still, the storm stops. How many of you have stopped the storm? A couple of you are lying, because I know you've taken authority over hurricanes and tornadoes and such. But the next verse is really interesting because it says, and immediately they were at the other side of the sea. How many of you have been translated? Transported? I know a couple of you who need to raise your hands because in your dreams you have gone to places and preached to people. As he is, so are you in this world. A couple of other instances where, in fact, there are three in which Jesus is surrounded by men who want to kill him. And he walks through them totally unmolested. How many of you have done that? say, well, wait a minute. I don't have any people attacking me, so I don't need to do that. Maybe so. But the reality is, as he is, so are you in this world. So we're going to have to change what's possible We had an instance a number of years ago where we were in Tallahassee and visited my sister. We're coming back home to Asheville. And we stopped at Walmart, I think, at like 1130. I don't know, it's like a seven and a half hour drive up here from there. And we pulled into the outskirts of Asheville at 245. How many of you have been translated and didn't think about it? See, how many of you also have looked down at your gas gauge after having passed the last service station 20 miles back and realized, I need some help and got it? See, this is the kind of life we need to come to expect. Why don't we do that? Because we're more concerned about the bad things that have happened and the bad news that we're wrestling with and the unhealed circumstances in our life than we are about the possibilities of some awesome stuff happening. Because as he, he is, so are we in this world. You see, part of, the, part of the, the resolution of trauma is making up your mind that you are not a traumatized victim and I will be this way until I get healed. Will healing be necessary? Yeah, it will. 
But the reality is, is the mindset for most people is they stay in it far too long because they can convince that they are traumatized and will stay that way until they're not traumatized. You see, the mind that Christ gave you is incredibly strong. You have creative powers that you know not of. See, Pat talked about declarations. You were created in the image of God, and how did God create the vast majority of everything he created? The words of his mouth. When we moved to um, Kentucky from here, um, we got introduced to a thing called Declaration Dinners. And uh, the way it worked was um, in December, you would sit down and write a list specific as you could get of the things that you wanted to accomplish before midnight, December the 31st of the following year. And you'd take those before the Lord and say, you know, here they are, anything you want to add or detract. And then in early January, we would get um, five to six couples together and we would have a catered meal um, and some select beverages. And at the conclusion of the meal, everybody would fill their glass and each person would in turn stand and declare their list. That would be followed by prayer and prophetic words and attaboys and whatever else. First year, we had 11 items on the list. Nine of those were completed. Two of them were completed within the next two years. The next year, I thought, well, the odds are in my favor, so I'm going to put a bunch of stuff on here. <laughs> Didn't quite work like that. But the reality is this, um, God is a God of order, and your words and your declarations create order for you, and particularly in the context of these, these declaration dinners, because basically what you were doing is you were declaring before the Lord an assembled group, these are the things that are important to me. These are the things I'll pray about, that I'll sacrifice for, that I will think about, I'll learn about, I will prepare for, I will engage, I'll save for, sacrifice for. And if some other opportunity comes along, I have something to gauge it with. Is it appropriate for the track that I'm on, or do I dismiss it? You see, the interesting thing about this is man plans his way, but the Lord orders his steps. What do you get when you don't plan? Whatever comes along. You see, it's important for us to have order. That's what trauma tries to destroy, is any order in your life. But we just give in to it by not doing things simple as declaration dinner. 
you have the power to do an awful lot of things. But you see, neither the Holy Spirit nor one angel is activated until you say anything. Psalm 115, 16 says that heavens are the Lord's heavens and the earth he has given into hands of men. You can take from that verse this. The Lord has said, I'm going to quarantine myself in heaven and I'm not doing a blasted thing unless you say so. Now, those who pray, receive revelation from the Lord, speak it into existence. You see, this is one of those interesting things. There are many, many inventors in this room. The Lord gives you a great idea, and if you speak it, it was the Lord's idea that goes into the earth, and the person who's supposed to pick it up can do it. It doesn't mean every idea you have, you're supposed to do. But we are the conduit of the wisdom, the creativity of God himself in this earth. It's one of the reasons why there are so many social problems today that have no answers. Is because you and I as believers have never asked the Lord, what is the solution to the border? crisis we experience. Well, it's not really a crisis. It was invented. There's people who want to enter the country more than we can handle. It creates a problem. What's the divine solution? Have you ever asked that question? No. Psalm 115. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given into the hands of men that be you. This is yours to decide what to do with. We've got a pollution problem. It's yours to decide what to do with. Gave you a great brain, but he also can give you wisdom and understanding to solve problems that no man can solve, including your own struggles emotionally. What we need to do collectively is to repent for deciding that we are totally human and not spiritual because we've connected spiritually or to religion and that has absolutely nothing to do with it and i think one of the reasons why it is so tough in asheville for the church to take a foothold and to expand like it is supposed to is because you and I have not become the creative souls we are supposed to be. How many of you are going to be here on Sunday morning? Okay, I won't talk about that one. But save that one for you. Um, 
I just, I had a great awakening this past, this past week. Um, Lord help me. Um, I'll take you a part of the way there. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 1, we read an interesting couple of verses. It says, um, you know, the Lord told me that before he formed me in my mother's womb, he knew me. Um, that word knew is the same word that is used when Adam knew Eve and she conceived a son. So there's the implication that there was some kind of significant personal knowledge, not just intellectual, your soul number 8,922,000,000, whatever. And I believe that in that time when he created us, he poured everything into us that was consistent with the purpose for which he created us. Scripture tells us that there are good works established for you to perform before the foundation of the world. Now, remember the verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, I believe that's when he poured those things into you. If you do not know your purpose, you're missing out on life. Okay? Why? Because I believe each one of us were just not randomly created. The, there was specific foreknowledge of what he wanted us to accomplish. And he had to put in us those things which drew us to the very thing that we were created to do. So there have to be some uniquenesses, curiosity even intellectual capacity, emotional, you name it, it's all there. Now, I believe that at the time he created us, there was a witness to it, and that was Lucifer. And at the time, Lucifer was probably wildly applauding the awesomeness that's going on, the, the variety of things that were poured into people and how they seemed to dovetail all together. And then he got the big head and got the left foot of fellowship and did a serious face plant here on earth. And that probably wiped out all the dinosaurs. Um, I don't know how mosquitoes survived, but I'm sure we'll all wanna have that conversation with the Lord when we get there. Um, the upshot of this whole thing is the fact that when you show up, the enemy knows why you're here. And he cannot have you fulfilling your purpose. And so he has to work directly against that. How does he do that? Well, he starts with our great, 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 
seeing how much of it he can mess up, and he's had eons to be able to do that. And so what, when you show up, what is the thing that he's trying to deal with most? Is your personal identity. If you don't know who you are, you will not find out why you're here. It's one of those things that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And we've all been on those detours and they didn't work out too great. Um, it's why I wound up in electrical engineering, got out of college, went to work for a consulting house in Houston and realized I hate engineering. I can't, I don't wanna do this the rest of my life. Um, <clears throat> so there was another detour. Um, so the process for each one of us is I need to discover who I am. What is my identity that trauma tried to steal, tried to crush? Now, obviously, the guy who really knows who you are um, is the one we're most interested in impressing. And so for those of you who are struggling right now trying to figure out, I'm not sure who I, who I am or why I'm here, um, that would be a good enterprise for you. Um, you might want to put that on your declaration list to have that settled before the end of next year. Um, he can settle it for you a lot sooner. So you might, might put it on your December 1st list looking for... <laughs> something to happen before the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> for most of us, um, our parents really didn't do such a hot job of settling our identity for us. Um, not that they had a lot of instruction in it. Some did, most did not. Um, I believe that the father in the family is primarily responsible for establishing the identity of a child. He does not do that by sitting down and telling them who they are and what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. He does it by establishing presence. I minister to a lot of men who come in and, and with all kinds of issues, and most of them have back problems included, um, who basically say, you know, my dad just wasn't around, never attended anything, um, never came to any one of my ball games, blah, 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 blah. Well, that was kind of my story. But you think about it, how is your father who's sitting in the stands with a thousand other people trying to talk crabgrass with the neighbor over the band who's playing out of tune. And you're on the field trying not to get killed by people who are twice as big as you. There's no conversation. In fact, you probably can't even pick him out. What is there that makes that experience valuable? It's presence. If my dad is there, what it says to me is I'm important. 
And when I'm important, I'm somebody. That's that thing about belonging again that has to be settled for each one of us. And the fastest way to do that is obviously connect with the one who can settle it for you. But you see, it's interesting when you look at this cross behind us, there's not only a vertical member in it, but there's a horizontal member. The dysfunction that you have with the Lord is easily seen in the dysfunction of relationship that you have with other people. And so if you're wondering about your relationship with God, you can get a picture of it in the dysfunction of your relationships with other people. For so many, there's been abuse. And so your innate fear is of an authority. And God obviously is the greatest authority in the universe. He probably has rules and regulations we don't even know anything about. And everybody knows he's sitting up there in heaven in a rocking chair with his foot on the piano that he's about to try to kick out of heaven onto your head. Um, if it's not a piano, he certainly has a fly swatter he's willing to use on you. But that's what our earthly fathers did. So how do I break that place of transferring all of my issues of my dad on to Father God? The easiest thing for me was familiarity. See, one of the things that we do not do in America is embrace the pain. We run from it. We hide it. We deny it. So if you really want to do this, what you're going to have to do is engage the Lord. I got to the place where that was virtually impossible for me to do. And I had this idea one day. I'm just going to sit down and ask you, what do you got to say to me today? And I'm going to write down whatever you, I think you're telling me. Well, a guy with Morningstar uh, talked about it. He said, he was referring to the prophetic. He said, whenever you're starting something new, it's kind of like a ditch after a spring rain. There's sticks and leaves and cigarette butts in it, but if you let it flow long enough, it gets clear. Well, that's kind of like what it is when you're engaging the Lord. First starts off at some of you, at some of the enemy, and at some of the Lord. But the more you go, the more you be able to get clarity and sort out the voices. And what I learned was God himself was nothing like my dad, or at least the one I thought I knew. I learned he has a great sense of humor. Some of the jokes that he would tell are the funniest I have ever heard in my life. 
um, I learned he has a unique way of um, getting the things I need to be corrected about. On our last trip down to Minister in Florida, um, I was driving through this it was not God-forsaken part of Tennessee, but it was a people-forsaken part of Tennessee. And I have this horrible um, generational curse I got from my mother, and it's called a lead foot. And so I was making progress, and it's coming up a hill, and who should top the hill but a Tennessee state patrolman? And he gave me a good driving citation, and I'm irritated, and um, so I'm driving away. I said, Lord, why am I so irritated? And he said, you just don't like people telling you what to do. <laughs> uh, if you don't want to hear the truth, don't sit down and ask the Lord questions like that, because he will nail you. So it's up to me. Um, to begin wrestling with that, and I have over the last couple of weeks. I still don't like people telling me what to do, but um, I'm becoming obedient to Pat, so that's, that's some improvement. Um, the best thing you can do is do sit down with the Lord. Um, that has absolutely nothing to do with trauma, I don't think, but uh, it was helpful for me dealing with mine because a guy by the name of Jim Wilder, and here's a book you ought to get a hold of, it's Living with the Heart that Jesus Gave You. He defines trauma as type A and type B. Type A is what your parents do to you, and type B is what you don't get from your parents. And mine was a type B. My dad was a workaholic and was gone all the time. And on top of that, between the ages of 3 and 13, we moved 96 times. And so socialization was an issue for me. And I didn't get any beatings, although I got spanked on occasion. But um, that was good for me. Um, at least I thought it was. But um, issues like that, that are lifestyle, and this is what um, he surmised. He said it's harder to get over type B trauma than it is type A because typically type A are events, lifestyle impresses upon you things you don't. It warps some of your wiring. Does that mean it's impossible to get over? No, it doesn't. You just have to use some different techniques. But part of the process in either one of them is hanging out with the Lord. Now, tomorrow morning, I'm going to cover the first peace in the trauma prayer, but I'm going to pray it over you now. And I'll 
tell you more about it tomorrow morning. Um, Father, we, um, we just bless your name. We thank you, Lord, that uh, it was for freedom that you set us free. And that your promises of freedom are never empty. You even said through the mouth of Jesus that he would complete that good work he started in us. So, Father, we ask your forgiveness where we have stood in the way, where we've been our own worst enemy, where we have chosen not to cooperate, where we have failed to embrace the pain and chosen to live in denial. Father, I ask you in the precious name of Jesus to disconnect every individual in this room from every second heaven and every demonic entity that's gained access to them through the things that they have suffered. The traumas of life even before they were born. I ask you to disconnect them from any generationally transmitted trauma. I ask, Father, that you would forgive them of the sins and the mistakes and the bad decisions that brought trauma on. And I ask, Father, that you would forgive those who brought the trauma and even tried to shovel the shame and the guilt off on others by saying it was your fault. I ask you, Father, that you would disconnect them from the spirit of death. From insanity. From infirmity. Even idol worship. Where we have sought comfort from things that were not comforting. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would bring justice. Not only to those who um, were denied justice, but for the last decade or more, have prayed prayers of deliverance with no answer. I ask you, Father, to disconnect us from every spirit of despair, disappointment, disillusionment. And Father, for those who um, have lost sight of who they are, I ask you to open their eyes, give them dreams, visions, angelic visitations, whatever is necessary 
for them to see who it is that they made, you made, and the glory that you deposited within them. I ask you, Father, that you would break the power of any mental stronghold that has been established, every mind-binding, mind-blinding spirit that has kept them trapped as victims, unable to see themselves as victorious. And I ask you, Father, to release them from the trap that does not allow them to entertain the idea that they can make the decisions that they need to make when they need to make them that will revolutionize their lives. Father, I thank you that each of them has the Holy Spirit who can speak, who can direct, who can guide, who can comfort, who can instruct and teach. So Holy Spirit, I just say, sick them. Father, we just ask for um, good night's rest for each of them. Some awesome dreams. Safety on the highway. I bless them in Jesus' name. For they are indeed worthy to be blessed. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at KOG underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KOG Asheville.